0: Isaiah 38, 58, I'm sorry. Why did I have 38 on there? Boy, that's a mistake. I did, that's what, never do a PowerPoint when you're not feeling well. Isaiah 58, 58. This is one of those things. God does this every once in a while. God will bring me a passage from a number of different sources. And seldom do I pick up on it on one, two, or three. Three, I'm kind of like going, where have I heard that before? But when I hit four, five, and six, coming from different places, different people, just sometimes totally out of the blue, I'm like, oh! Oh! Oh, you want me to pay attention to this? When COVID came, Psalms 91 just came at me from many, many different directions. And I stayed, I stayed there for a while. And God has been giving me Isaiah 58 from a lot of different directions in the last month. And so I wanted to take the time today to preach on Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 12, because I believe it's a message for the church today. I honestly believe that the same situation that Isaiah was in at the time that he was preaching this the time that he was giving this a record of God talking to Israel you see Israel was not in a good place Isaiah was was prophesying to the two southern kingdom two southern tribes Judah and Benjamin the ten northern tribes had already been taken into captivity by the Assyrians they were no more and there's tiny two tribes down here with in around Jerusalem and the surrounding area were all that was left and they weren't doing a very good job of following God. Hezekiah tried and he failed. God even gave him 15 extra years. And as they, as they were there, Babylon is knocking on the door to come and take them into captivity. And Israel would be no more until God restores it. <clears throat> the reason God was, was giving them this message is, see, they had a form of religion. Religion. They were following the law. They were bringing the sacrifices. But they had forgotten to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. So let's jump into Isaiah 58, and see what it has to say, verses 1 to 5. Cry loudly. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression. And to the house of Jacob, their sins yet ye seek me day and by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of God they ask me just questions they delight in the nearness of God why have we fasted and you did not see Why have we humbled ourselves and you did not notice? Behold, on the day of our fast, you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold the fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. It is a fast Like, is this a fast, which I choose? A day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed? And for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day of the Lord? The first thing I want you to see here is the urgency of the message. God tells Isaiah, cry loudly, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. The urgency of the message you see, I believe that the church in America has fallen asleep at the wheel. We, we, we have 155 churches in Lynn County. You would think with 155 churches in Lynn County, any place you go, revival would be taking place, don't you? But I would dare say if you went to the majority of those churches today, you wouldn't even hear the name of Jesus proclaimed. A lot of them don't even open up a Bible when they preach. The urgency of the message, the church is asleep today. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Got to hit the right passage. There we go. (coughs) Beginning in verse 1. There we go. Beginning in verse 1. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I, I want you to get a gist of what God is talking about. He has been talking about chapter 24 of Matthew begins with the disciples saying, tell us when these saints, when are you coming back? When is this all going to change? When will your kingdom come to this earth? And he's talked about all the signs in Matthew 24 as a Passage that we read quite often, and God says, Oh, all of these things are going to happen. And we look around the world today, and they're all, every one of them, happening. We're watching Jerusalem, and then in chapter 25, He's going to give a parable of 10 virgins, and then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins, and they took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flask along with their lamps and while the bridegroom was delaying, delaying, they all, got drowsy and began to sleep and at midnight there was a shout behold the bridegroom comes out to meet and come out to meet him and all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps and the foolish one said give us some oil for our lamps are going out but the prudent said no we won't have enough for all of us and go to the dealers and get some That's a picture of the church today. I believe the church in America have all fallen asleep at the wheel. Oh, the bridegroom is going to come back. I remember in the early 70s how Lindsay was preaching the late great planet Earth There was all kinds of preachers that were saying Christ is coming back. David Wilkerson was preaching and writing books. A lot of people were all wound up that that 1976 was going to be the year because that was the 200th anniversary of the United States. and God was going to come back. He didn't make it, did he? And we have been standing, and we kind of had that, the, for those who saw the Jesus Revolution, we saw God begin to work across the United States, and, and we saw a great movement of God in the 70s, and Billy Graham was at his, was at his finest filling stadium after stadium, and thousands and thousands of people were getting saved, and then... Everybody fell asleep. They fell asleep at the wheel. All 10 fell asleep. But notice, five had the sense to fill their flask with oil, and in the New Testament, that oil is the Holy Spirit. And when the bridegroom cried out, When the the warning came out, the bridegroom is coming. Trim your lamps, it's midnight, it's time. Oh, we have no oil left. Did you know there's more churches closing in the United States today than there are being started? For the first time in the history of the United States, we are seeing a decline in church plants as compared to churches that are closing we're going the wrong way. And why are churches closing? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They've decided we're going to talk social justice and we're going to talk this and we're going to talk that. But they don't have the Holy Spirit. But those who had the Holy Spirit did what? They poured it in. It's time for the pouring in of the Holy Spirit in our churches today. If we are going to be the ones who cry out, the bridegroom is coming... We have to have the Holy Spirit. We have to have the light that shines in the darkness. As you look at this passage, what did Isaiah talk about the people? Oh, look at us. Day by day we go to the temple. Look at our fast. Did you know God only gave one fast to the people of Israel? God only gave one, and that was on the Day of Atonement. You fast on the Day of Atonement because what was the Day of Atonement about? It was about repentance. It was about saying, God, take my sin away. And help me to live for you. But the Jewish leaders. Oh we're going to have a fast for this. And we're going to have a fast for that. And you can fast over here and fast over They had added all of. We call it legalism today. In our terms. It's a form of religion. Oh it looks good. Well you can come to our church if you wear this. Or if you, if you read from the King James Bible. Or if you do this or you do that. And that's what they were doing. And God looked down and he says, I don't even recognize your fast. Why? Did you notice what they were doing? Behold, you fast. Oh, excuse me. Uh, verse 3. They asked God. We fasted. Didn't you notice? Look how good I've been. I've got my perfect attendance. Button right here. I didn't miss a Sunday. Here, God, look at my offering giving this last year. Wasn't I good? And God says, I didn't ask you to do that. That's what you do. Because you love me. But they wanted to be noticed. And and then, but I want you to look at verse three. Why have you fasted? This is, they're asking God. Why have we fasted and you didn't see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you didn't even notice? Behold, on the day you fast, you find your desire. And then notice the next thing. And drive hard all of your workers. He says, you know what? You come to church on Sunday and you dress up really nice. You look really good. You know how to say all the right things. But on Monday when you get back to work, you, get, you say, listen, we've got to make up for all the time we lost yesterday well, while we were at church. He says, your Monday doesn't match up to your Sunday. See, God doesn't call us to be Sunday Christians. He calls us to be Sunday Christians and Monday Christians and Tuesday Christians. He calls us to be a Christian every day. See, we have this idea that we are doing something for God. We're going to get there. Come on. There it is. It's not what we do for God. It's what God does through us. Amen. In chapter 6 of Matthew... God says, this is wherefore you fast. This is Jesus talking to the the leaders, the Jewish leaders. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will be not noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, we don't have, oh, look how good I am. I you know what? Has anybody ever noticed that the pastor does not have any bumper stickers on his vehicle? Follow thou me to Eastside Christian Church. I, that's a big thing in the South. If you ever go around, they'll say, "Follow thou me to First What's and Ever Church." As you're standing at the stoplight, and they're going, "Hawk, hawk!" Police officer was sitting at a stoplight, and there was a lady ahead of him, and she was honking at people and showing her finger out the window. And the light changed, and he immediately pulled her over. And he says, "Ma'am, I'm going to put you under arrest for stealing this car." What? It's my car. Well, I I sat behind you, and you had a you had a fish symbol on your car, and. You had one over here that says, Follow thou me to this and this church. And, and the way you were acting, you had to have stolen this car. Because nobody that believes in Jesus would drive like that. She got the message. I'm going to tell a story here. No, I better not. I stopped a senator. I stopped a senator when I used to ride motors. And, and for those who don't know, a state legislator can claim that they're going to an important vote and you cannot write them a citation. And knowing that, one day I stopped a state senator. And I walked up to the window, and I said, oh, thank God it's you. <laughs> and they looked at me. I'm not even going to give a gender. They looked at me and said, what? Well, I knew that there's no way my state senator would drive like that. And I thought somebody had stolen your car. True story. You see, if we're going to claim to be Christians, we need to what? Act like it. We say, oh, we sit here in church and say, I am a child of God. And we go out and drive like the devil. Or live like the devil. Or treat people like the devil. Well, Isaiah 58 Six through twelve. Isaiah sixty eight. (laughs) Fifty eight. I'm telling you, don't ever do your PowerPoint when you got. All right, six through twelve. Listen to how God responds. This is God talking now. Is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of the wickedness? To undo the pans of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless Pour into the house. And when you see the naked, to cover him, do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Now, watch the change. Watch the change. Then your light will break out like the dawn. And your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here am I. If you remove the yoke from your midst and the pointing of finger and the speaking of witnesses, if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will become the midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden, and you will spring, and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail, and those from among you, you will rebuild the ancient ruins, and you will raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which you dwell. And then, in John chapter eight, Jesus talking to his disciples said, Jesus answered them truly, (coughs) excuse me, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The first thing that God says, what kind of fast do I desire is to set people free. Is to set people free. You see, people that don't know Jesus are in slavery. We just sang about it, didn't we? We were once slaves to sin. We have been set free. We need to take that story to everyone else. When somebody comes in here, it's not our job to fix them. It's our job to lead them to Jesus. And let him fix them. because there's a lot of people who will walk in this building and they don't understand. They haven't been raised with this. They think, uh, oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm coming to church. And our job is to lead them to Jesus and to lead them to his word and let it do the work. The washing of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. The, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword to cut to the middle of the quick. You see, God is the one that does the changing. God is the one that does the fixing. But we have a responsibility to come alongside somebody. I've known people, I've been blessed, folks. My daddy was an alcoholic. My mom and I were, she was over at the house on Thursday having dinner. And she was just sharing at the dinner table. She said, you know, if God had not taken our baby, most of you have heard the story. My baby sister, Kathy, was born with a Without a wall in her heart, she lived for 28 days. Both my mom and daddy were lost as a goose. Neither one of them grew up in a Christian family. They didn't know Jesus from Mohammed. They wouldn't have known anything about who Jesus was except when my sister died, a pastor over in Lebanon came. He was a pastor of one of, my, one of my dad's friends at work. And those men, those Christian men built an incubator so my baby sister Kathy could come home and be at home with her mommy and daddy for 28 days. And one of those men reached out and he says, well, they said, we don't know what to do. When Kathy died, they didn't know what to do. My mama was 19 years old. She already had one baby. She was just a baby herself. And he says, let me call my pastor. That pastor came in. He says, yes, I'll do the service for you. And that pastor preached to my mom and daddy. And he said, listen, David had a little baby that died. And listen to what David said. I can't go he, my baby's not coming back. He cannot come to me, but I can go to him. He said, your only hope right now is that you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And then you'll see your baby again. And my mama latched on to that with everything she had. She got saved on Easter Sunday morning. Six weeks later, my daddy got saved. It's because people loved them. Because people stepped up. Because a pastor took time out of his busy Easter preparations to do a service for a young couple. My daddy was drinking himself into a grave. And when he got saved, he said, no more. Put it aside. They didn't come in and say, oh, J.B., that was what people called my dad, J.B., if you'll quit drinking, you can come to our church. He'd go out and drink on Saturday night and come to church on Sunday morning, smelling like a brewery. And they loved him until he came to Jesus. And Jesus told my daddy, quit it. You're done. You're mine now, and my son doesn't act like this. See, we don't we don't get to choose who we love into the kingdom. God does, and 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 that's our job. But sometimes we we forget about what where we've been. We forget about what we were like. The Revelation class just studied about the book of uh, the church in what Ephesus, and in Revelation chapter two talking to the church in Ephesus, he says this. Pardon me for just a moment. It's amazing how your, your eyes and your nose leak at the same time. To the church at Ephesus, Jesus says, but I have this against you. that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have what? Fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstands out of its place unless you repent. You wonder why there's churches that are closing their doors today right there. They have lost their first love. They have forgotten where they were. See, uh, that's one of the things for me is I never want to forget that day that Jesus Christ got a hold of me out on this field. And you guys, I'm tired of hearing about how you got saved. I'm never tired of hearing how I got saved. Because the day I forget what God did for me when I was 15 years old is the day that that I'm going to get so complacent that I'm going to sit in my rocking chair and go, okay, God, you just just keep working and I'm going to sit here in my rocking chair. I don't want to sit in my rocking chair. I want God to use me to tell people about Jesus. Well, there's a second thing. We have a responsibility to a world in need. Did you catch that? says, not only are we to set the captives free, we're to break the yoke. But then he says, this fast that God calls for, is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house and when you see the naked to cover him? You see, we have a world of people out there in real physical need. Real physical need. Coming in this morning, I'm just, I'm drive, stopped at the stoplight at Queen and Hill, and I look over, and here's a man sitting with all his worthy goods in a couple bags in front of him, trying to stay warm. Up, man. What does he have to look forward to? We have Jesus. We're going to a nice warm church to sit in. We have a responsibility to a world in need. That doesn't mean you have to fix everything. but we have to be able, if you can respond to someone's need, We should. Back in Matthew chapter 25, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can read it when you get home. Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 to 40, Jesus is giving another parable. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him and he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him, he will separate from them one, one another. <coughs> Excuse me. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will come and to those of his, on his right, those are the sheep, that's us, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. And notice what he says. He says, because you have believed in Jesus Christ and you went to church every Sunday and you read your Bible every day and you prayed to me, that's why you're going to come to the kingdom. No. No. What does he say? For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer to him, Lord, when did we do that? When you stand before God, He's not going to ask you your church attendance or your tithing record. He doesn't going to ask any of this. He's going to, How did you represent me to the world? And I want you to notice something very interesting. How did they respond? Huh? When did we do that? I don't remember doing that. You know why? Because that should be second nature. As a Christian, when we see a need, we should be the first one that, that pulls out their wallet. Let me take care of this need. We should be the first one to say, how can I help you? How can I get you where you need to be? How can I do that? It should be second because that's the way it was with Jesus. Jesus didn't go around going, oh, let's see, any me, miny mo, let's see who I'm going to heal today. No, when the people came to him, he said, be healed. When the woman, when the crowd was around him and the woman reached up and grabbed the hem of the garden, garment and she was healed, Jesus says, ah, somebody just got healed. Who was that? She's like, "Oh." And Jesus said, "Your faith has made you well." See, Jesus was constantly surrounded by people that needed to be healed. We're, we live in a world that people need to be healed. Amen. spiritually, physically, emotionally. should be second nature. You know, I, I, I love Samaritan's Purse. For those who don't know, Operation Christmas Child is run by Samaritan's Purse. Our boxes right now are in the processing center waiting to be sent out around the world. Before Christmas comes, most of those Christmas boxes are gonna be in the far reaches of the world. But Samaritan's Purse is interesting. You know, They, they have huge hospitals that are, that are in tents and you know what's interesting? I want you to watch this. The next time there's a, somewhere in the world that there is a humanitarian need, you you see who's first on the ground. It'll be Samaritan's Purse. They will beat FEMA. They beat FEMA to Katrina. They routinely have boots on the ground. You know Why? because they're constantly watching what's happening in the world. When a hurricane comes up, out here in the middle of the ocean, there's somebody at Samaritan's Purse that's watching the track. And as soon as they see the track and see where it's gonna hit, they pick up the telephone. And they begin mobilizing thousands of volunteers. Listen, I'm going to put you on standby. I want you to be ready to go. They have volunteers that are ready to go in 24 hours to step on a plane anywhere in the world that they need to go. And they said, listen, I want you to be available to go within 24 hours. And then you're going to be there for at least two weeks, but be prepared for at least six weeks. And they have people who are ready to go. And as soon as it's safe to get in, they're there. They've got their trucks have, are packed with the hospitals, with everything that they know that they need. And those trucks are on the road before it ever clears. They're on the plane. if it's in. Uh, if they were in Israel. They had people in Israel on Monday when the rockets hit on Saturday. You know why? Because they're always looking for places to give, to help. That should be us. I gotta move. Wow, okay. Once we are doing what God wants us to do, then what does he say? Then, then... What will happen? Then your light will shine. We're reflectors of Jesus. Then you will have recovery of health. Then you will have see your righteousness. Then your prayers will be answered. Then you will feel the presence of God. Then you will point out those things that need to be worked on in your life. Then once we start moving out, God says, I'm gonna, I will take care of the rest of your life for you. If you, will, if you will go out, if you will take my word, the rest of your life is taken care of. That's who I am. Notice that it says, "And God has your back." Did you notice? Did you notice what he, what he said? He said, and the Lord will go behind you. What does that reckon back to? The Israelites. They're up against the Red Sea. Egypt's coming up behind them. And then what did God do? God stuck his, his presence between him and Egypt. The Pharaoh's army. And on their side, they had light. And God says, split the ocean open, walk through it. And what did the Egyptians have? Total darkness, gloom. They couldn't see to move their chariots. See, that's what God does for us when we begin to answer his call. Well, I, I... One more thing I want to give to you. Give of yourself even when you don't feel like it. Even when you don't feel like it. Especially when you don't feel like it. Look at verse 11. And the Lord God will continually guide you. Excuse me. Go back to verse 10 then your light will rise in what? In darkness. Your gloom will become like midday. The Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire. Where? In the scorched places. And give strength to your bones. You will be like a water garden. You feel like you're in the middle of a scorched place? Do you feel like you're in the gloom? You're at the midnight? If you feel like that, God has a remedy for you. God has a thing, a principle that is as powerful as gravity. Right? Gravity. Here we go. Ready? See if the preacher kills himself, right? Oh, wait a second. I don't believe in gravity. All right? This principle is as powerful as gravity, sowing and reaping. You see, if you're in the gloom of the midnight, you know what God says? God says, I got your back. But he also says this. If, if you are lonely... I'm sorry folks it says if you are lonely you start planting friendship and I will give you friends if if you're sitting over here in bitterness I want you to go out and plant forgiveness and when the plants of forgiveness begin to grow that bitterness is going to get choked out if you have if you feel like life has been unfair you plant seeds of what fairness justice and guess what happens You see, when we feel like everything's against us and we begin to look out and find somebody who's worse off than us, then God begins to say, you know what? It's not so bad, is it? You may be in a scorched place right now, but guess what? The springs of water are coming. And every plant that you planted, every seed that you sowed, when the water hits it, it's gonna grow. You see, we have to plant for God to build that in our lives, and he wants to do that for us. Now, I started this sermon pretty much down on the church in America because I feel we've fallen asleep, but I want you to look at verse 12. Those from among you, that's the church, folks. That's us. That's us. Those that are among you, when you figure this out, that I don't don't need the church to to walk around saying, look how good I am. I need the church to be out there touching people's lives. When you get this figured out, those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which you dwell. You see the people right here, the people of Israel, as they stood there, they could see the devastation that is going to come. When Babylon came, they destroyed the walls. They took the temple and they tore it down They set fire to it and they literally pried the the stones apart to get the gold out from between it. And God said one day, when you begin to see that God worships, God wants his worship to be hands and feet, not to be something that's in a temple. When you realize that, you will become... The repairs of the breach. If we were to look over at the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra, we would see that God took a remnant and He brought them back. And they began by first rebuilding the temple, and then they began to rebuild the wall. I believe that we have the opportunity. I believe the time is short. I don't think we have long in this world, people before God's gonna come back. And he says, you can be the repairers of the wall. You can be the ones who seal the breach and restore the streets to which you dwell. That's our job. That's what God called us to do. We have no more time to be falling asleep we need to take our lamps. I believe God is, is, is beckoning us with urgency. Change the world. Tell people about Jesus. Set them free, just like you've been set free. While we come to communion time, just wondering, how many many of us we call ourselves Christ followers or Christians or whatever you want to whatever name you want to put on it child of the king yet how do we live? every place Jesus went what did he have? the rich young ruler said you know, hey God says, sell everything and follow me. I don't have a place to lay my head. Matter of fact, the last night that he was here on this earth, he was headed out to the Garden of Gethsemane, which he normally did to sleep with his cloak wrapped around him. He didn't have anything. Peter and John, when they went to the temple and saw the lame man, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you. That Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And Jesus, they followed him for three and a half years. The last supper was in a borrowed room that they had the bag to use. His last ride into the the temple or into the city was not on a war horse. It was on a borrowed donkey. And on the night that he gave the communion, the night that he gave the last supper, you know what Jesus was saying to them? I don't have anything left to give but my body. I'm not going to leave you guys a big inheritance. Thousands of dollars that you can go and spend building big churches with comfortable seats. He says, the only thing I have to give tonight is myself. Myself. And then he took the bread and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat.